but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough everybody welcome to episode 76 of the body surf i'm jonathan and i'm james and we are back together reunited and it feels oh <laughs> so good welcome back to canada yeah thank you You made it across the border swam across lake ontario <laughs> <laughs> i took uh, all told five flights rented a car drove two hours back and forth from myrtle beach to charleston and would you believe it i had zero travel issues which was Quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. Especially considering what's happening today. People getting physically dragged off flights for no reason. And yes, and also what happened to Steph in the US, who spent almost like 48 hours in transit. Oh my god, just That's awful. What a total nightmare. <sighs> so yeah, I'm back. Happy to be back. Finally uh, feeling settled again. Unpacked the suitcase, did laundry. <laughs> back to life, back to reality. Mm. <laughs> You're just full of songs today. <laughs> and a bit of uh, good news for the golfing fans like myself, somebody who ha grew up watching the majors and the, the PGA Tour and being a fan of Sergio Garcia, he finally won a major. He won the Masters. That he did. I don't really know anything about golf. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew enough to know that that was a pretty big deal, that oh, Sergio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For what he's, he was like a young phenom, right? So mm -hmm. he's been around for like 20 years, practically. Yeah, 19 years. He came up with Tiger and they were supposed to be the rivalry of the future. Mm -hmm. In 1999 at Medina at the PGA Championship, they dueled to the end of that tournament. And Tiger, of course, came out on top. And there's that enduring image of Sergio hitting a bold shot from around a tree at the root of a tree, mm. and then leaping, scissor-kicking up the fairway to watch it get onto the green. And that kind of youthful exuberance and electrifying play is what people expected from him. And it just uh, kind of turned into a dour, sour career. Mm. A very consistent one with big titles, but never the biggest ones. And uh, at, the, at the major that he's performed the worst at, historically in his career is the one that he finally got it done in very unexpected ways as well you know not back ending into the title not coming from way behind being in that high pressure situation on sunday and coming up with the goods when in the past he's just kind of went away so good for him and before we get into tennis i have to plug what i'm drinking right now our very good friend from london ontario has just opened up a brew pub for his brewing co-op. It's called London Brewing Co-op. The space is amazing. I know we have a few listeners in London, so if you have not been to London Brewing Co-op, please go. I'm drinking the Toll Puddle Porter right now, which is amazing. And All their ingredients are organic, and most of them come from within 100 miles of London. So London, Ontario. Yes, I, I think I <laughs> okay. said that already. But if you're from London, UK, hop, hop over the pond and, and come to Canada. And listen, you know, I'm not a big fan of dark, heavy beers, of porters. I'll have one Guinness, like, every couple months mm -hmm. kind of thing, and that's about it. But I really enjoyed it. It was light. It was so smooth, right? Smooth, light, tasty. Thumbs up. So check it out. Okay, so you're back from Charleston. I feel like we have some wrapping up to do. Mm -hmm. There's probably so much more that you want to share about your experience there. If I can remember it. <laughs> We also hope you enjoyed the Mirjana Lucic-Baroni interview from the last episode. That was one of the things that we're, we're most proud of that we've done on this podcast in the two plus years. Yeah, we were very lucky because she is really the ideal interview subject. She gives so much as an interviewee, and you did a great job with questions, I have to say. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was very jealous that I couldn't be there myself. Maybe Cincinnati will both get to go. Who knows? Maybe. 
that's something we're we're trying to make happen. What did you think of Miriana's choice of Celine Dion as her tennis diva? Uh, oh my god, like that's perfect. It's absolutely she, perfect. She didn't hesitate. She came up no. with it right away. It's so fitting. So you, you know, Celine has really just conquered a lot of horrible, horrible stuff in the past year, right? So we have the diva conquering adversity, as Miriana has done. Uh, Celine is elegant. She's tough, but she's down to earth. Emotional. And she treats people well, Mm -hmm. you know? When I was thinking about it at first, I would have gone with Tina Turner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the comeback queen. Yeah, she's the ultimate comeback queen, right? Uh, But I don't know that the personalities match up. That's true. Right? Yeah. Top marks to Mariana for coming up with that. (laughs) (laughs) On this episode, you're going to be hearing from Naomi Osaka, which was the other interview that I was able to do one-on-one in Charleston. It runs about half the length of the Mariana interview. Mm -hmm. And uh, look out for that later in the episode. A couple other anecdotal stories that I wanted to share with you all from my time in Charleston mostly just from walking around the grounds, because some of the most interesting moments happen, A, when you least expect them, and B, from seemingly innocuous situations, Mm -hmm. right? On the stadium court in Charleston, the Tennis Channel TV booth, it's set up off the main concourse area, you know, like where the marshals rope off so that people can't get in in between changeovers. Okay. So like it's the set- top of the bowl. Yeah. Like the bottom. Part. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's set up right there in a glass booth. So you're literally watching Mary Carrillo and Tracy Austin do their work. Mm-hmm. And you're watching it in silence. You can't hear what's going on inside the booth, but you see them talking, you see them moving. And the one thing I wanted to relay to you all, I was standing there one time trying not to look like a creeper because I'm literally a foot or two away from Tracy Austin while she's standing with her back to Mary, Mary is talking, and Tracy's not doing anything, so I'm just like, what's going on here? And then I see Tracy reach into her makeup bag, and then she just slowly starts applying lipstick. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then she goes and she pulls out the lip gloss, and she starts putting on the lip gloss. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, are we calling a match or not? (laughs) And what I didn't realize was Tracy was multitasking, because it was the end of the match, and she knew that, and she had to get ready to make a beeline out of that TV booth to then run to the front of the stadium to go do outdoor live TV for Tennis Channel to interview the winner. And so... Unlike Sloan, who just sat there all week being dolled up, mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting to go on air, Tracy had to do her own makeup before she then had to take her own self to that outdoor booth to go do uh, a live wrap-up in, like, two minutes. I mean, let's be real. Sloan is doing them a favor by working there, <laughs> don't don't you think? Did Mary at least powder Tracy's face for her? Because you don't want to be shiny on TV. Well, at that time, Mary wasn't doing TV. Oh, okay. Mary did a few TV spots, but for the most part, she was just doing... She was just calling the Mm -hmm. matches. She was a little busy holding Steve Simon over an open flame. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) That's one of the things she was doing. (laughs) But also, she wasn't... She was much more dressed down than Tracy that day because she wasn't going on TV. Okay. Right? So, Mary was very much in her comfort mode. Mm. Wearing her slacks with her sneakers. And I saw her... When I guess what her and... Somebody had come to relieve her mid-match. She just picked up her backpack and just walked out. And then, you know, people stopped her, chatted with her. She took a few pictures and she just went on her way. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is it was fascinating watching these TV personalities do their work all week. And having like these human moments, right? Yes. Uh, You saw Sloane kind of bouncing around on that bionic leg, right? I did. Toward the end of the tournament. Well, I saw her on the day of the all-access hour. She was there, and she was on the leg. Mm -hmm. And then toward the end of the tournament, when most of the action was happening on the stadium court, and pretty much all the action on the the outer courts were done, I just saw her walking around doing some shopping Hmm. on the Bionic leg. (laughs) She had a big old bag from Lisette, I think was a title sponsor, or one Mm -hmm. of the sponsors. And then she went into another store to make some returns, because apparently she wasn't happy with what she had before. (laughs) She wanted to switch some stuff out. 
but very unassuming and no nobody was bothering her. A shout out to your mom there. You know, if you don't like something, you return it. Okay? <laughs> the other thing that struck me from walking around the grounds for the week was how quickly the time frame from when players lose to when they leave the premises, pretty much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you shake hands at net and then there's a golf cart waiting for you right there and they just, they just shuttle you back. You're gone in oh. no time. And as soon as I saw a couple times with Carol after she won, with Naomi after she lost to Shelby Rogers, they were on their phone in no time and they were just on the back of the, the golf cart, just on the phone. Kara was ecstatic. She was just smiling, beaming, mm -hmm. you know, Instagramming or something. I just, talking with somebody and Naomi just immediately put her headphones on and was just in her own space. Mm. But you don't get to see that on TV, right. right? makes you wonder like what exactly is going through their mind in this moment. It feels almost like you're intruding because if I lose, I don't want to be around people. I want, don't want to have strangers looking at me in my most vulnerable moments. Oh yeah. Because... I felt really kind of gross about it. And it's not like other sports. They'll take them through a golf cart in the middle of like the main walkway in these tournaments, you know, and you there's security surrounding them usually, but you can really get very close. It makes me a little bit nervous for the players, honestly. The other post-match reaction that I saw was out on the Althea Gibson club court after Mariana won her match against Kiki Burton. She was pleased as punch and she was happy on court. She told Nick McCarvel that she thinks that her coach should give her a very special prize for the mental strength that she showed on court <laughs> dealing with all the wind mm -hmm. that day. And then she smiled and waved to the crowd. And then she was the, the player, the player lounge, I believe is right above the Althea Gibson court. So she just walked to it and I walked right by her and I, she was there, you know, smiling with fans talking with them and she had a legit just ecstatic demeanor about her after mm. she won that match were you like hey girl hey well i had just interviewed her the day before so yeah. i was like uh is she gonna recognize me is <laughs> like i think we kind of made eye contact but we kind of looked away both of us oh you just like did the nod not even that <laughs> <laughs> okay so what else happened at this tournament there was Aside from your observations, I guess we should talk about the actual tennis, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mariana got to the semifinals, lost, unfortunately, to Ostapenko. Mm -hmm. And there was a rather dramatic match on the in the other women's semifinal. Laura Zygamund lost to Daria Kazakina, who is the, was the eventual champion. Zygamund had been playing excellent tennis all week, as we know, took out Venus in the first round. You uh, you alluded to something in the previous episode, and I don't think you really wanted to get into it at the time, about <laughs> people maybe questioning her sportsmanship, accusing her of gamesmanship, or just, just sort of um, play that's not... It's kind of Bush League stuff. Yeah, right. that became clear. So Laura won the first set in that semifinal, and then Kazakina sort of changed tactics, and Sigamon basically implied that Kazakina was gaming her, right? That she was taking all the pace away, disrupting her rhythm, and was framing that as kind of a negative thing. But that's really kind of what you need to do to win a tennis match, right? Like that's exactly. And so Kazakina turned out to be the better player in that matchup, and also the more mentally strong player. Because as Twitter started blowing up in the third set, people were saying, did she just yell at the towel kid? And apparently what she said was, give me the fucking towel. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Like, I was at work. I didn't see it. So I'm going to mm -hmm. defer to you on that one. I know sometimes we can be a little hard ass. We can be purists with the rules. But I really think that when you start to abuse and harass the ball kids who are volunteers, who are kids, that needs to be a fine or a default at that point. Honestly, at that point, if the... I don't know what the rules are, really. But I feel like there has to be some discretion given to the umpire in that situation. That's ridiculous. Okay, neither of us saw it happen. But if it's to be believed from what Twitter is telling us, that's really bad. <laughs> yeah. And when it's taken together with the 
questionable medical timeouts at questionable points in matches. Mm-hmm. Not on changeovers. When your opponent's about to serve, when you're down in the match, when you have a long history of doing these things, of delaying your opponent on serve, you know, stepping in and out. I believe Nicole Gibbs took her to task once on Twitter mm. about that very same thing. <laughs> so Sigmund has a history now of this kind of behavior, and she doesn't seem to be winning a whole lot of friends. I know this topic of having friends in the locker room is trite and way overdone at this point. Right. But this is different and because it's it's tangibly warranted. It's not just you don't like somebody's mm. personality. You know, that Sigmund is doing some low-down, dirty stuff. But from her perspective, she's probably thinking, well, I'm doing everything within the rules I can to win tennis matches. Yeah. Right? Sure. I mean, the rules are allowing mm-hmm. what she's doing. The umpire is saying, okay... So what's to stop her? What's to stop a, a less scrupulous personality <laughs> from doing those things? I mean, Anne Kiathavong was just beside herself oh, on Twitter. She, she was, was not happy. She was like, I cannot believe that this timeout is happening mm-hmm. in Charleston right now. Sigmund lost. So there's that. And we got the final with the two teenagers both looking for their first WTA title in Ostapenko and Kazetkina. And... Both of these players are on the rise. I think Kazakina has the better, a lot of buzz. Yeah. You know, she people are talking about her as one of these kind of next generation WTA stars, possibly. She has some big wins. She has a win over Venus uh, from last year and then went on to have a very good year, remember? Announced herself, pretty much. Mm. This is definitely somebody to watch. And Ostapenko is also someone to watch if you're interested in petty... Fucking drama. (laughs) (laughs) Are you referring to her runner-up speech? That's not fair. She's a good player. This is this was a great final. It's great to see. It was a great result. It wasn't a great final. Okay, well, it was a great result for her to make the final, right? But it was a pretty bad final. It was nice to see two teenagers face off in a WTA final. Two players that have a lot of buzz around them, Mm -hmm. and not no punk ass tournament either, right? This this tournament had a, a really good draw, actually, for, for a smaller tournament. It just so happens that a lot of the top players lost early. And these women were the ones who took a lot right. of them out. Right. So Ostapenko took out Wozniacki, which I think came as a big surprise to a lot of people, and took her out fairly easily, too, in straight sets. Mm-hmm. But Ostapenko's speech had me cackling, like, hilarious, because it was so petty. Like, petty to the max. How many times did she mention Daria's name? Um, I can't recall a single time. Can you? <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, she knew every single sponsor. Like, she rehearsed that shit. She knew all the sponsors. She thanked everybody. And then she said, uh, unfortunately, I didn't really play very well today. I feel like this is my worst match here, period. There was no... It's a customary to congratulate your opponent even if you're feeling really salty about it which really who is happy to congratulate their opponent when they lose in a final but man it was just openly disdainful i would say and then when kazakina congratulated her opponent and said you know best of luck at your next tournament ostopenko could not even be bothered to look in that direction (laughs) (laughs) but beyond that i heard that you were family with Venus Williams. Oh my god. So I come back to Toronto, I have to go to work right away, pretty much. Within 12 hours of getting back to Toronto, I was back, in, back at work. And so people haven't seen me for a week or so, some people don't know that I was away, some people are looking at me all strange because I have a bit of a tan, I'm a little bit red looking, and they're like, well, it's 50 degrees tops here, where did you get that sun from? And they're like, your boyfriend didn't go anywhere. Why are you tan and he's not? <laughs> and so this one co-worker, looking at me all suspiciously, I was like, yeah, you know, I was away in South Carolina for a tennis tournament. I said, oh, let me show you what I was up to. And so I pull up this picture of me at the all-access hour, sitting at the table with Venus, with all the recorders on the table and everybody looking at her. You know, we're She's being interviewed. And so this co-worker looks at the picture and she says, oh, is that your family? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) First of all, you don't know who Venus Williams is. 
Or yeah. you can't even guess that it's Venus or Serena Williams. Because if a lot of people just cannot tell the difference. Like, it's ridiculous how many people can't yeah. tell the difference between uh-huh. them. And also, like, I clearly do not look like any of the other people <laughs> at the table. <laughs> I just got a good laugh out of that one. And if, you know what? I'd be happy to be Venus's family. True, so. true. Let's wrap up your time in Charleston by sharing with our listeners your interview with Naomi Osaka. I This was one of the ones that I really, really hoped that we would get. Because her personality on social media and on court, from what we've seen, is hilarious. This girl is so funny. And I like her because she's clearly like a different generation from us, right? Mm -hmm. There's a big, there's this big gap. Because we're millennials, she's Generation Z or whatever. And uh, I just find her so amusing. And I can tell you, coming off of interviewing Mariana to then do Naomi. It was a total, totally different <laughs> right. feel in the interview. Mm-hmm. And they happened on the same day, within oh, a couple right. hours of each other. She's very shy when she says she's shy and awkward. It's not, it's not made up. Yeah, like it's not just posturing. But in addition to that, she's also very engaging and direct. Mm. So... That's a a bit of a strange combination to try and work your way through in an interview. <laughs> yeah. You know? And also, she's very young. Like, I, I, you have to tailor questions differently than you would speaking to a grown-ass woman like Mariana Lucic-Baroni. Right. You know? Or Sonia Mirza, who will put you in your place every which way. She will... If she deems necessary. <laughs> she will gather you. <laughs> she will tug on your wig. She, uh-huh. not, she won't rip it off, but she will shift it a little. She will decide what needs to be done to that wig, and <laughs> whatever needs to be done will be done. <laughs> All right, let's just play the interview. Hi, Naomi. My name is Jonathan. Hi. I'm with the Body Serve Tennis Podcast. So you're coming off of two wins in Charleston, which means you're now six annoying first round matches, which is a, a big thing that you've made for yourself this year. Yeah. Are you happy to continue that? Um, yeah, of course. Um, just, like, winning the first match on clay for me was very, like, I was very happy about that. And um, winning against Shui, who's never, like, a hard person to beat, mm-hmm. is, I, I mean, I, I feel like during that match, there's a lot of things I could have improved upon. Um, and that's, I think that's good because that means I can, like, go forward. You deliver that goal of winning first round matches in a humorous way, but then some might say, well, shouldn't she be making a bigger goal for herself? You know, what What do you think about folks who might say that? Um, well, I think it depends on how you look at it. I try to go one match at a time because um, during the start of the year, everyone, like since I had a good end of the year, mm-hmm. um, everyone like asked me, oh, how do you feel about your chances to win the title and stuff? And I was kind of a little bit overwhelmed, especially since I had like the wrist injury. Um, so now I'm just like trying to be a bit more calm and focused on every match. There are no tables to flip in here, but I'm still not going to ask you about the 5 1. <laughs> but you do have Madison again next. If she wins. If she wins, yeah. yes. You were saying in your previous chat, post match press, uh, that you don't really necessarily see similarities between you and Madison in terms of game, but do you see some similarities in terms of the way your careers have, have risen? That maybe you've started to become a top player or top 50 at the same time Ma- Madison did, and that's why people kind of look at you similarly with the big power game. Oh, did she? Same age as me? Yeah, but Madison's like, what, 22 now? She was, she's been around for a while. I thought she was like top 20 when she was my age, no? I remember when I was like 10, how old, how much older is she then? <laughs> I just remember she like did something really good when she was 14 uh-huh. and then since then like she's been great. So um, I feel like I've taken like a little bit of an alternative path. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the destination is about the same. I just need to get a little bit higher where she is. Is it frustrating to be compared to other people? 
not really. Like, especially since those players are really great, um, and I kind of strive to become like that, but、mm-hmm. a little bit of myself at the same time.、So. Are you surprised at how well you've been received on Twitter? Because when you came on the scene on Twitter, it was like an explosion. Everybody was like, wow, Naomi Osaka, she's hilarious, she, she's a must follow. How have you、uh, coped with that swell of support? <laughs> um, Has it surprised you? Well, the thing is, I feel like there's some people that don't like me. <laughs> really? Because my humor is a little bit like different,、mm. I think.、Um, and then I sort of use memes. So. When you say people, who do you mean? Like, like trolls on the internet? No, not like that. Just like my mom would be like looking because my mom looks. And she's like, what does this mean? <laughs> so I know that there's other people that don't really understand. Well, there's gonna be a generational gap with、yeah. your parents not understanding stuff that you say, right? I guess so. Have you had any negative experiences from people on social media? Like fans or trolls?、Uh, I mean, I think everyone does. And I, I. The thing is, I fight myself to burn them. Like, I, I wanna roast them so bad. <laughs> But my dad says don't respond to negativity. So, yeah, like I just, I just think of a roast in my mind and then just like I don't take it. Have you ever not listened to that advice and let one rip? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to delete it afterward? For, I, I kept it for 15 minutes and then I deleted it because that person only gets 15 minutes of fame. Oh, there you go. You also tweeted earlier in the year. Of a New Year's resolution to get more BFFs. <laughs> How has that been going?、Um, I, I feel like I could do better, but it's not that bad now. Like, I, I actually talk to people and stuff, so、um, that's, that's always. You, you often make fun of the fact that you're, you say you're shy、yeah. on Twitter, so that's a real thing. It's something that you struggle with to, to be more extroverted in real life. Kind of, yeah. Like, I,、um, last year I was really bad.、Um, I wouldn't really say anything to anybody because I always think that they're busy. And if I say something, I'm interrupting their like, thing that they're doing.、Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, I kind of try to go out of my way to say hi and stuff and start conversations.、So. Have you and Madison talked about that press conference? Which Where、um, you said,、uh, please talk to me. Oh, yeah, she did talk to me. I was actually really happy. <laughs> so, you guys are on the BFF path now? I'm not really sure.、I、kind of. We started talking about shoes, so maybe we are. What are some of your goals for the season? Do you even set goals for yourself? Or are you just trying, as you said before, just take it a match at a time?、Mm. And if you do have goals, have they changed recently? Well,、um, I, the season is clay season or、mm. the whole year? Just in general. Like you set a goal for yourself or goals at the start of the year? Well, I, I'd want to win a tournament.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully by the end of this year, get to the top 20. So those are two goals that I would really like to accomplish. The second goal, it could change depending on how I do.、So. Okay. What do you make of the success of the, the older players on the WTA lately? We've just seen so many over 30 players doing well. Obviously, Serena is still great. Venus is on stadium court right now. She's almost 37. Svetlana Kuznetsova, Vesnina, Mariana Lucic. Does this、uh, give you any idea about how long you yourself could possibly be playing?、Like, do you see yourself playing at 35? Sure about that, but I do know that those players are very mature,、mm-hmm. so they probably don't have like any negative reactions because they've played so long and they know exactly what they're doing and what they have to do to play good and win the match. So, hopefully, I can go to that phase really quick. How serious are you about your photography since you got that fancy camera? Ah. <laughs> Because I went to your Instagram as well, and you said that it's no longer a photography thing, you just use it to send memes to your sister? Or was、oh, that, no, was that a, a joke? That's a different one.、Oh, okay, so I found the wrong one. Yeah, because there's three eyes. Oh, okay. Is it a, a hobby, a definite hobby that you've taken up photography? Yeah, yeah? because、um, traveling a lot, I realize like, I see a lot of things.、Um, 
and I kind of want to like capture them. So. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to finish up with five fast questions. Uh, the first one, do you have a favorite pump-up song for when you're getting ready to play? Right now, um, there's this thing called Ice Melts by Drake. Okay. Is Drake a general favorite of yours? Uh, no. Well, he just released a new album and I like listening to new stuff, uh -huh. so when Kendrick drops his, then I'll probably listen to him a lot. Who else do you like to listen to? I saw you tweet about Beyonce as well. Yeah, Beyonce. Who doesn't like Beyonce, right? I know, right? If someone likes Beyonce, they can't talk to me. Um, if they don't? Yeah, if they don't like yeah, Beyonce. I then. totally agree. <laughs> You're clearly doing life wrong if you don't like Beyonce. If you could bring somebody out of retirement so that you could play against them, who would it be? Hmm. Steffi Grubb. Okay. Why Steffi? Because it's so pretty the way <laughs> she plays. Um, and she also seems like a really good competitor and I feel like I could learn a lot from her if I did play her, so... I only ask you this because you've tweeted about it a lot. And I feel like you have to make a decision. What you can't I do? just say you love Fedal, you have to say Federer or Nadal. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, the Miami, uh -huh. I kind of wanted Nadal to win because Federer took the Australian Open one. So right now I'm not sure how I should feel because it's clay court season, so do I want Nadal to win or not? So are you saying you're neutral? You don't have like a favorite to I think to begin I want with? Nadal to win the entire clay court season, like with the French. Okay. And then maybe during like the US swing, I'll see how I feel then. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat? What's your fave? Mm. <laughs> uh, Twitter. Twitter? Why? Because I'm not really good at Instagram. And Snapchat, I mean, I just like do really fast things and type a lot, but Twitter, like, I can see how people respond, plus yeah. I can put a picture too. So you're saying there are different skills needed for each one? Yeah. So you need to work on your Snapchat and Instagram game? Well, just Instagram. I think my Snapchat's okay. And finally, if you could steal a shot from any player on tour, whose would it be? And Serena's doesn't count because your server's pretty good already. Um, Carla Suarez Navarro Slice. Slice? Okay. Thanks, Naomi. Thank you. Good luck. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I did. I really, in, I really like the fact that she doesn't think she's funny because her mom doesn't get it. <laughs> like, there's really, it's no small wonder. <laughs> what did I say to her? I said, you know, like, you can't, it's a generational difference like you you can't expect yeah. your parents to get it <laughs> not at all <laughs> and there i feel like the generation gap now is even bigger because of the, like the technology mm -hmm. gap is so media. huge and yeah like how are you going to explain to your parents the ins and outs of social media for them to get it you know right i mean you can barely even explain to me snapchat and i'm barely 28 hmm <laughs> I, you weren't you weren't gonna correct me there i feel like the listeners know by now to be able to call bullshit on that yeah yeah i mean i was born in the early 90s oh my god <laughs> while i was editing that interview uh last week naomi had a, a very interesting encounter at the net with shelby rogers after losing to her that hug i just looped over and over and over <laughs> and it's not in a malicious way because i really really like her a lot like i think she's so funny and she explained that the awkwardness of the hug was because she was trying to get her racket out of the way which i i totally believe because once i heard that and watched the video again i was like oh okay i can see that but shelby you know she's american she's southern she went right in for that hug and naomi, naomi was like mm, okay okay i just give me a minute <laughs> It's also delivered with that expression on her face, too, right? Mm -hmm. That's what accentuates every yeah. point of humor with Naomi. So it's not that it was awkward for her because she's Japanese, and Japanese people don't hug. I feel like that's part of it, too. Oh, I don't know about that. So Because people are saying, well, she, was, she grew up in Florida or whatever, but like I was saying to you, her mother's Japanese, her father's Haitian. They both grew up outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. Neither of them 
They don't have any rooted American culture in the States. They are the first generation of being in the States together, right? Okay. So, yeah, Naomi may have gone to school in the States, but she's also a tennis kid. Like, how much time did she spend in actual schools Mm. as a young adult? And we know now that she's very into learning more about and representing her Japanese Mm -hmm. heritage. She's learning the language. She's always joking online about... The other day she said, I I refer to an elderly Japanese person by their first name. Kill me now. Or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) You know, so she's all about the Japanese customs Mm -hmm. right now. And, I mean, she has some big-time Japanese sponsors Mm -hmm. recently. She has some Nishikori-esque sponsorship. Uh, These two are going to make a tag team. (laughs) So it was probably a combination of the two, to my mind. Okay. But I remember watching that from the press room when it happened, because I'd I'd left Stadium Court when it was something like 4-2 or 5-2. Shelby in that second set Mm -hmm. was like, A, it's freezing. It was so cold. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm going to get ahead of the game and make my way to the car and get out as quickly as I can. And so when I went to get my stuff in the press room, it had just finished. And UNC Dan Ward, who was a photographer on on site, we were chatting and watching at the same time. We were both kind of like, what? (laughs) What just happened? (laughs) It was so great. It was hilarious. So, yeah, you wanted to get into some et cetera's, right? Yeah. So there's actually a lot going on off court. Uh, I would say the... The biggest commotion is over Serena Williams retaking number one as of, I think, March 20 or April 24th, right? That's the biggest commotion. Is it? I feel like that's Every, make no, believe but, in your head. No. <laughs> okay. So Serena's <laughs> army has turned this into a joke because they are going in on Kerber. Look, is it? I feel like there was a bigger commotion over the title of Maria Sharapova's autobiography than this news. <laughs> I feel like you're misrepresenting it just a little bit. Okay, fine. So we'll we'll talk about the Serena thing, and then we can talk okay. about Miss... I can't read my emails. Okay. So Serena's going to be retaking number one because you know, it's basically like an accident of the calendar, right? The Stuttgart points are coming off a week early this year. So Kerber will lose those title points a week early. So Serena will retake number one. Mm-hmm. Kerber lost in the Monterey final to Pavlyuchenkova who won her fourth title in Monterey. She just cannot stop winning there. And she has something like nine or ten WTA titles now. Like, she is way more accomplished than I thought. Yeah, like, she has put together a nice career. Mm -hmm. It's just that she has had injuries. She hasn't really, like, sustained a great ranking for a long time. So I think she can be forgotten about. But she has quarterfinal appearances at majors, too. She does. So I think Kerber probably went to Monterey to to get some matches, to get some confidence. She is generally someone who likes to play a lot. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't had a great year. Not a a horrible year, but she hasn't had a a great year by her standards so far. So I'm not here to make fun of her. I am not going to celebrate the fact that she lost the ranking. Of course, I want to see Serena at number one. But Angelique Kerber is out there trying to do her job, trying to play tennis. Like, I'm just... It's just not worth it. It doesn't make Serena better to mock her. And do you really think Kerber is out there thinking like, yeah, I'm playing like a number one. It must suck for her Uh, too. No, of course not. Of course she wants to win titles. Yeah, it mustn't be a good Mm -hmm. scene for her either. Because she knows she can do much better than this. But of course it's great to add another week to Serena's number one reign. You know, that's, that's great for me as a fan. Listen, the thing too about this, Serena doesn't give a damn about number one at the moment. You know, she like, certainly does not, because she would be playing a little more. Yes. So, like, if Serena doesn't care about number one, why is it... Uh, I just hate how people get so messy unnecessarily, <laughs> you know? Like, what did Kerber do to... Well, she did a lot to Venus, for me. Yeah, she certainly did. She did. Mm-hmm. And Venus got her one back. <laughs> yeah. But it's, not like, but it's not like Kerber is nasty. No, she's a very level-headed, down-to-earth kind of Mm. player. I mean, she's had some moments in the past, but actually never with Serena, as far as I can... Yeah. Anyway. Whatever. So, Maria Sharapova is releasing an autobiography. It's called Unstoppable. Colon. 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 (laughs) (laughs) 
my life so far. Notice she didn't say my life in tennis so far mm -hmm. because she definitely, as lots of people have pointed out, been stopped in tennis. Mm -hmm. A, by her email negligence and subsequent ban mm -hmm. that stopped her. And also Serena has stopped her 17 straight times. Mm -hmm. She's really been stopped by court order. <laughs> She's been stopped many times. Somebody pointed out maybe a better title would have been unbreakable. Oh, fair. Fair enough. I feel like I've spent all the time I need to on Sharapova right now. Yeah. I, I just want her to come back and for it to be back to normal. Like it, it's happening. We've talked about it ad, ad nauseum. Let's just get it over with. Yes. In another comeback, Victoria Azarenka has announced when she's returning. She's coming back in Stanford. Yep. In she, July. She had told us that she'd be back for the hardcourt swing. So we will probably be seeing her in Cincinnati this year. I hope so. You know, I actually am really excited for her to come back now that she's been gone. It's only going to be seven months since she had the baby. And I'm really looking forward to, to what she can bring to the tour. This Bouchard lawsuit. See, what had oh happened was... Oh my god. It just will not die. For the longest time, we didn't hear anything about this this lawsuit. We're like, is it still going on? This is from US Open 2015. And this is now April 2017. And we've learned, because of an article that came out featuring her lawyer, that mediation failed to settle the suit. And it's it's ongoing. And the lawyer just went off. So a few months ago, he went on and on about how beautiful and gorgeous she is and how she's always on social media, basically pretending to be happy because she's just so upset about this shit. And don't be fooled by how great she looks on social media <laughs> because her life is mm. tore up because of this incident, which we don't want to demean the after effects of a concussion and what that can mean for a professional athlete. Definitely not. No. But, but at this point with this lawsuit, Jeannie finds herself in a position where a bad loss, like she had to Soribes Tormo in the first round in Monterey has people wondering, and you can't even blame them for wondering if some of this is intentional at this point. Intentional. Like this is what a, do you mean? this is a shit thing to think. But like, can you blame somebody if they're thinking, well, is Jeannie losing on purpose to further her lawsuit? Oh, I no, I wouldn't go that far. Maybe I'm naive, but... Like, if you intend to then have this show up in court later on to win damages, your evidence is going to be her, her play, her, her results. The whole thing is just a mess. Like, personally, I don't think that that's the case, mm. but it, it just isn't a good look. Like, what, what was this mediation... That something couldn't have been settled. Yeah, so there was a private mediation between the two parties in March. They failed to reach a resolution. And now, I mean, I don't know how they're going to resolve this because her lawyer said that the USTA has willfully destroyed evidence, security tape footage. So they were supposedly issued a preservation notice to keep all the footage. They allegedly did not. A certain piece of footage they said, well, we throw it away after 160 days. He says, you were issued a legal notice to preserve that evidence and you failed to. So this is kind of a, a something that he can use to get a better settlement, which is, I guess, the idea. I, don't, I can't imagine what the resolution to this is going to be. The thing is, for Jeannie, she's a young woman. She has a lot ahead of her in her tennis career. It just, I don't know if the whole thing has gotten away from her. If she just picked the wrong lawyer, or this is kind of the direction that she wants it to go in. But it's just a shame that this is what we're talking about when you hear the name Eugenie Bouchard. You were talking about the social media date, mm -hmm. which I thought, you know, at the time I thought was cute, whatever. And this lawsuit against one of the, the bodies that govern North American tennis. Well, and a prestigious tournament in your sport, right? One of the four Grand Slams. How do you go and play the U.S. Open throughout your career with this sort of hanging over it as this dark cloud? Are you going to be expecting wildcard handouts from tournaments in North America now? It's like the company's not wanting to hire people who have a litigious past. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Are you going to want to give this person a wildcard knowing that they have litigation in process against the USTA? 
And I'm not saying that she's wrong because we don't know what happened. We weren't there. Only she knows what happened, right? But it's really just a shame that in her promising career, this is what is being talked about. It's not her play at the moment. It's also a hard case to to make because they're setting it up like she was a star, you know, that her career was derailed by this. When in fact, she had been struggling for a while before this slip. But she had had a good tournament up to that point. She had won, at three, that US she had won three matches. Right. She had reached the fourth round, which was more than she was expected to do. Yes. But it's not as it's represented by her side in the lawsuit. Okay. And something that I've struggled with Jeannie in the past is even when she was having all this great success is that her game doesn't pass the eye test as somebody who is going to be a world beater. Mm-hmm. But she, I mean, she has results here and there that are impressive. She reached mm-hmm. a Wimbledon final. She's reached late stages in other Grand Slam tournaments. Two other semifinals mm-hmm. to go with that Wimbledon final. It's it's just such an almighty mess I'm right su- now. I'm surprised that the USTA didn't settle a long time ago. They're fighting this really hard. Clearly, they believe that they're in the right. They They believe that the media attention is not reflecting poorly on them. So they, they're not motivated to settle unless this evidence thing is going to change your but mind. But really, can the average fan decipher between USTA, ITF, WTA? Right, right. Like, what do they care at mm-hmm. this point? If anything, the WTA is the one who is probably going to look worse for wear out of all of this because everybody just kind of lumps the WTA into everything, that they're responsible yeah. for all of women's tennis, regardless of the differentiations. And I... I wouldn't be surprised if the WT was pissed off about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mary Carrillo and Steve Simon. This <laughs> did, is did like you watch your, that? this is your favorite thing. Yes. Did you watch the interview? I did. I did. Yeah. Mary Carrillo just pulls no punches. She had a, a very brief sit down with Steve Simon. I think it was three or four minutes long. Mm-hmm. Steve Simon is the CEO of the WTA who took over for Stacey Allister, who was really one of the most popular CEOs Mary Carrillo is a very famous opponent of on-court coaching and grunting. She went after him on both counts during this interview. She went hard on the on-court coaching thing. Lindsay Davenport, in an excellent, excellent appearance on John Wertheim's podcast, I can't recommend it enough. Lindsay Davenport also criticized on-court coaching for being merely for television because if it was really to benefit the players, there would be no mics. Shout out also to... The changeover, because they had a written exchange, I believe, between Amy Featheralf and Anusha, where they hashed out this issue as well. Mm. So read that if you haven't as well. Mary grilled Steve Simon on that issue. They they reached kind of a respectful, separate piece. I think... Separate piece in that Mary was like, this is awful. And Steve Simon <laughs> was like, well, I support it. <laughs> right. And Mary Carrillo was like, sure, Jan. <laughs> Okay, girl, you do you. You're wrong, but let's move on to grunting. And she was not having any yeah, of it. I'm less passionate about grunting. It's not really something no. that that bothers me. But kudos to Mary for you know sticking to her guns, speaking truth to power. The men grunt. Mm. The men grunt. Well, we have been spared like two of the greatest grunts in history over the past year. Sharapova and Azarenka. Yeah, but would we, our opinions change? Yes, because we've had this podcast while they were playing tennis yeah. as well. Like there, there's always going to be an element of sexism to it. Yeah, as far as we're concerned, I'm not going to lie. I find Azarenka's one of the most annoying things in the world. I really do. There's and nothing wrong with finding it annoying. Mm. There's nothing wrong, but to then present it like it's solely a WTA problem is utterly ridiculous. True, but with the on-court coaching thing. It's presented from the WTA perspective and Steve Simon as... I always want to say Steve Simon. (laughs) (laughs) It's presented by them as a way to grow the game, to give the casual fan more insight into what's going on. But as Mary says, you have these top players being seen in these horrendously weak Mm -hmm. and unaccomplished moments. And she did mention that they're usually talking to an older male coach. Most of the coaches are men, Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly. There's a paternalistic element to it. Uh, Lindsay Davenport talked a bit about Muguruza's dust-up with her coach, Sam Sumik, to see a recent major winner, a top player, 
a big star basically begging and crying for her coach to come on court. It's just, it's not a look that the WTA should want to put out there. It's embarrassing. And I'm not saying that to put Muguruza in a bad light at all. This is not a criticism of her. One of the biggest issues that women's sport and women's tennis will always face is that the general viewing public and men, a lot of men, do not take the product seriously Mm -hmm. because they view women's sport as significantly inferior to men's sport. And you are putting this policy forward where you're putting these women in vulnerable positions to then support that. That's my biggest issue. Right. Because we're not having them... If they were both doing it, if the men and the women were both doing it, then that's one thing. And it's not the majors. And like, it's it's not for the benefit of the players, because if that were the case, and it was pointed out by Lindsay and others, the mics wouldn't be there. Of course, because the coach should be able to speak privately with right. his player, right? Like, is the coach really going to say all that he needs or all that she needs to say to the player in that moment, knowing that they're mic'd up? Like, if I go on the court and I'm a coach... And say, I'm coaching you, and you're playing like shit. And what I really need to do in that moment is tell you, like, you need to get your fucking shit together right now. (laughs) And if that's the pep talk I need to give you, Mm. that's our dynamic. I can't give that because of the mics. Or or more tactical things. Yeah. Because you don't want other people to hear what you're discussing in private practices, right? All the hours of tape that you've watched to then Mm -hmm. work out this specific matchup. That's going to come up again Maybe next week, maybe a couple months down the road, maybe in a Grand Slam final. You don't want to be giving away your secrets. Yeah. I just, I don't buy the argument that it's for entertainment because, so first of all, it's not at the majors. And you just cannot tell me that there's a lot of revenue, a lot of audience growth in other WTA tournaments because of Encore coaching. Yeah, where is the evidence that Uh, this helps? I just don't. And Unless they it, have it on an income statement somewhere that we're not seeing. And if it's for entertainment value, why don't you think that the product that you're you're selling on the court is enough? Why do you need to have this mm-hmm. gimmick, this add-on gimmick? Yeah, yeah, so so good on you, Mary. And Steve, you know, he sat there and he took it, and you could see on his face that he kind of agreed with Mary in spots. <laughs> like he told, I mean, but, it but wasn't his idea, but he, he can't, didn't start it. He can't undersell his position at this point, no. undercut it. No. So you all let us know what you think. Are you pro or against on-court coaching and why? What do we want to talk about next? Davis Cup? Yeah, so this was a quarterfinal week in Davis Cup. There, I would say the more interesting matchup was Australia and USA. By most interesting you mean the only interesting well yeah it was really the only close one <laughs> not only just because it was close but mm-hmm. look at who was playing spain yep. had carina busta and ramos Vin- vignolas yes. i think was playing and then mark lopez in doubles yeah this is a quarterfinal this is a davis cup quarterfinal this is a tournament that is embattled it's embroiled mm-hmm. in this fight for its life pretty much this is something we've been hearing about for years, about how the format needs to be reworked. Jim Courier just came out and said mm-hmm. that something has to be done. Leon Smith from Team Great Britain. We keep seeing leaks about potential behind-the-scenes tweaks to the to the format. And this, to me, is the best evidence that this shit just isn't working. Right. Like- because the scheduling, you have this tournament come right after Miami, right after the Sunshine Double Swing. Right, these players are exhausted. The top players, most of them having won already, is not they're not gonna play. So we have these four quarterfinals with Djokovic showed up fine. He I played mean, he played one match, he won his opener against Ramos Vinolas. He wasn't needed the rest of the like, way, exactly. put it that way. Troisky was able to win his singles match. They even played in a dead rubber Nenad Zimanich who doesn't even have a singles ranking. Yeah. <laughs> so that gave Spain their one point because Ramos beat him. Australia had their top guys show up minus Tomic. Uh, the USA sent their guys down there. They showed up. Yep. Fine. Isner, Quarry, and Sock, their mm-hmm. top players. But then France, they played with Benito, Chardy, and Mayu. Listen, France has an embarrassment of riches. They have something like 12 top 10 players. They <laughs> No, really. 12 top 10 players. That's our <laughs> top 100. You know what I mean? No, I thought it was for effect. Oh, no. I thought it was actually pretty funny. 
No, that was actually a slip. They have 12 top 100 players. And they didn't have Songo, Mofis, Gasquet, and Pierre Ugerbert. And they still managed to field a team that could handily beat Great Britain. Sans Andy Martin. Right. So there's there's Beneteau, there's Simon Chardy. Oh, you already said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their one win was actually Dan Evans beating Beneteau, uh, which was a dead rubber. And it actually turned into kind of an exhibition with... Mau coming on the court. Noah came on the court to all face Dan Evans at one point. It was three against one. Yannick Noah? <laughs> yes. The coach. Yeah, it was really just oh, like God. like a joke, right? And Dan Evans did win that match. What's surprising, I guess, is that France has not won the Davis Cup since 2001. This is a team that has many, many Davis Cups. They won six in a row, 1927 to 32, I think. Okay. So, I mean, you know, they had the musketeers and everything. It's a very storied tradition for French tennis. Uh, so it is surprising to me that they haven't won. I think uh, a lot. we've seen a lot of the top players recently, and by top I mean like goats, play Davis Cup sparingly and sort of play it strategically to win their one Davis Cup title to get it on their resume. So, you know, there's Murray, Federer, Djokovic. Rafa. Well, but Rafa has played a lot more than the other guys, mm-hmm. and Spain has a, a much better team. Yeah. So Spain has won a lot but Rafa during himself, Rafa's career. Rafa himself this year is like, oh yeah, he's taking a step back. And Spain has won in the past 15 years without Rafa. Like, they could do it without him, mm-hmm. you know? Bottom line is, I'm just not paying it any mind, because... Mm-hmm. As far as the Australia-USA thing, this is... It's playing into the narrative about Nick Kyrgios growing up, mm-hmm. displaying a lot more passion for tennis, pride in playing for his country. People are feeling very victorious in, in sort of being right about Nick just needs to grow up, right? But it is good to see Nick playing well. He beat Isner, he beat Query, Thompson even beat Jack Sock. So that's three singles wins right there. As for the semifinals, Australia will play Belgium, and then France will play Serbia. Yeah, France France versus Serbia is a really tough out for both teams. But you'd expect Australia to get through the Belgium tie. Right. We're going to end the episode now with things we like and things we don't like. Yes, I think it's better to start with what we don't like and Mm -hmm. end on a positive note. This was inspired by our outing this weekend. Yes. So we went out in Toronto, went to the village. When you say village in Toronto, you mean the gay village. Uh, we went to, you know, see some drag queens, have a drink, what whatever one does when one is in the village. <laughs> and the moment, the very moment we step in to this nightclub, we are just beset by an onslaught of women and their bachelorette parties. Mm-hmm. The first thing you see is a freaking tiara and veil. Uh-huh. And it's it's always the same. And it's hard. It can be hard to explain to people who are not woke in the gay sense why this is annoying to us. For a long time in the U.S., as you know, marriage was not legal for us till fairly recently, right? Mm-hmm. Federally, what, two years ago? It's been in the case in Canada for a while, like right, over 10 since years. 2003. But in the U.S. where I grew up and where you kind of came of age in college, we we went to college in a very dark time for gay people. During the Bush administration, it was really hard to see hope in the future, right? And a lot has changed since Bush left office. But a lot of that uh, bitterness about the bachelorette party thing is that we had women celebrating their marriages in clubs where we were not welcome to be married. You know, like, this is our space, this is our safe space, and we're supposed to be celebrating you. Mm-hmm. And so now that marriage is legal, fine, but, like, I assure you that nobody here gives a single solitary fuck that you are getting married. No. Like, people get married every day. And the only reason <laughs> they're allowed there, really, allowed there, that sounds really bad, <laughs> but the only reason why bachelorette parties are a thing at gay clubs is because... That's one of the main ways that gay clubs can stay alive yeah. in this day and age. I can't even criticize the club because it's very hard to keep any sort of club open. And then it's even harder to keep a gay club open. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, there's that issue of the history of throwing the straight marriage in our face, mm. right? But there's also now that marriage is a thing for gay people. There's also a sense of where your accessories mm. when you want, you know, like every straight woman wants a gay on their on their arm, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not even that in that instance. It's like we're we're not even there, right? Right. It's a, for me. It's the sense that you have come here to to gain this cultural experience to get some cultural capital and you may never come here again mm -hmm. like this may be the first and last time you willingly spend time in a gay space in a queer space so for us i'm like i will not argue that gay bars need to exist like that is that is not worth my breath they need to exist we need safe spaces because we don't feel safe other places there's evidence to support that if you'd like but like i don't i'm not going out on a saturday night saturday night to to be your prop <laughs> you know to be basically part of your one queer experience before you get married like i don't care i really don't care and so they always get brought on stage and everything and we're all supposed to cheer and girl i refuse to cheer <laughs> and then there's the whole business of being pushed aside physically the entire night while they barge they were their way to the stage. I'm like, sit the fuck down. I, I got sit down. I got shoved so many mm -hmm. times. <sighs> this is our safe space. Right. You know? And listen, straight women have been our friends. They have been our support for many years, for many generations. Mm. Gay people have established a kinship with straight women. So that's not what this is about. No, this is about being respectful of our space. Really, like a mm. lot of these people have no no idea of the history of gay clubs and the need for gay clubs and the fact that they're, for a lot of people, their only safe space. Right. This is just a place for you to party and while out when, like, it's a whole lot more for a lot of gay people. And in generations before us, and for some people today, the club is, all, is the community center, it's church, it's the public park it's everything like we had to live in the shadows we didn't have those things we didn't have institutions for us you know so that's why these these places have tradition and import mm. i find myself saying this a lot in life now in my 30s i just would like to see a lot more consideration <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do we like what do we like you know what i like well i had a really nice chicken shawarma pita today oh my god it's fabulous why does it always come back to food with you because like the pepperoni bacon whopper food makes me happy oh that's true <laughs> it uh, it is usually food um you brought me i knew you were gonna segue to that yeah so enjoy it you brought me some dunkin donuts dark roast k-cups which they didn't even use to make dark roast in k-cups okay so I'm loving that right now. And would you know, I got that on my second day on my trip. Really? I went to Dunkin' Donuts. Wow, how To get myself my chicken on a ciabatta. <laughs> which, as you know, any kind of oh fried chicken sandwich, I'm up for it. You're so bougie. That's what you had at Dunkin' Donuts? For breakfast, yeah. It's only mm. three-something for the sandwich. It's so good. Oh, can you tell your Chick-fil-A experience? Just very Oh, briefly. my God. I do carry a bit of shame. For enjoying Chick-fil-A so much. Mm -hmm. I just said I enjoy all kinds of fried chicken in every shape and form. Be it nuggets, be it fried chicken on the bone, Popeyes, you know, Sylvia's in New York City. Mm. <laughs> I can tell you... But you don't really fuck with boneless. I'll f any Any fucking fried <laughs> chicken I'll fuck with. <laughs> I'm telling okay, you. Okay. Uh, if you want to know what I think are the best fried chicken sandwiches from all the main fast food chains, mm -hmm. I can tell you. Yeah. But anyway, we don't have Chick-fil-A in Canada. And yes, I'm politically opposed to them. Very much so. But I give myself a free pass when I'm in the States. And if there's one, I'm going to have it. Because yep. their, you do you. their number one is on point. And so I was running an errand on my last day before I left Charleston. I was running the errands about to go back on site, say goodbye to folks, and then head out. And it just so happened that this plaza that I went into had a Chick-fil-A. I'm like, oh my God, this is a sign. 
<laughs> that this day is going to go well because I didn't plan for it. And there it was. Chick-fil-A in all its glory. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. How many people were at Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. at, at noon. Well, apparently it's where people go for lunch. Apparently. In Charleston. There was a manager directing traffic mm-hmm. in the drive through I have and never And there was another that. manager taking orders and relaying them in the drive through <laughs> And then when I went inside, the entire restaurant was packed. There were children in high chairs. Mm-hmm. There were people delivering orders from behind the, co- behind the counter to people who were already seated because they were waiting. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so much going on. They had like 15 people working behind the counter and it was so efficient. I was in and out in like three minutes. Yeah. Have you ever had an efficient experience in Canada? No. Like ever at no, fast food? No. no. I could be the only person in the in the drive-thru or in the store and it's not efficient. Like a lot of Canadians I know don't realize this, but Canadian fast food is like so slow. Mm-hmm. You could actually sit down at some restaurants and get served faster. <laughs> I'm not joking, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, that was an eye-opening Chick-fil-A experience for me. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's what we like. Food. Dunkin' Donuts I guess it will always Chick-fil-A. be food. Yeah, it will. All right. We hope you enjoyed the Naomi interview. Thanks for listening to all of our rants and etc. musings on this episode. Please check us out on Instagram. We have a lot of great Charleston photos on uh, at the Body Surf. We're on Twitter, also at the Body Surf. I am James, and you can find me on Twitter at ElliotJMR. And I am Jonathan on Twitter at SportscribeCA. Thanks for listening. Till next time.